The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 474 for Monday, November 11th, 2013. Greetings, folks, and welcome. The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We pile it all together. We put in our answers. We share our own tips. And together, we all come here to learn several new things about the Mac and Apple products each and every week. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, for the time being, <laughs> I've been all over the place lately, Dave. Yeah. Uh, this is John F. Braun. How you doing, John F. Braun? And, I, and I'll, I'll send a shout out to uh, all of the veterans there. Today is the day that we call Veterans Day here in the U.S. and celebrate Veterans Day. So thank you to anyone who has served. Uh, you, you, you all uh, have my thanks. So, yes, thank I believe it was uh, used to be Armistice Day, which I guess 11th hour of the 11th day of the. Uh, yeah. 11, 11. Yeah. And all that. That's yeah, right. I throw that. Right. I, I and yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I wish it we didn't have to have veterans, but for those that have done that sort of thing, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, uh, John. We, as you mentioned, we've both been traveling a lot, um, and I, there's a couple things I've been doing that have uh, that have helped me in my travels, or at least made my travels somewhat more interesting. And uh, and then they all but but these things tend to also fall into the concept of uh, things you might be interested in either getting for yourself or for someone else. So, you know, we're, we're starting in with uh, potentially some gift guide stuff here. The first thing I wanted to mention, uh, I've been staying in hotels a lot, you know, and traveling on airplanes and, and that sort of thing. In fact, I just finished my third trip in six weeks or something and, and I'm done now. I don't believe I'm traveling again until January and I probably by saying that now have jinxed myself and will be traveling again much sooner. But, uh, but, you know, going, I I've done, let's see, uh, the, the four flights or four sets of flights that I did recently, I did a hundred percent of them with a uh, passbook on my iPhone, right? I did not print paper boarding passes for the longest time. I would always have a backup paper boarding pass in my pocket, but I would use passbook this time. I, I, I just went, and did everything with passbook. Didn't even think about it actually. And it worked great. But the problem is you go to security, you give them your, your, you know, you got to give them some sort of, sort of photo ID. Um, and then, uh, and your, and your boarding pass or your iPhone with your, your, you know, passbook thing on it. And then they do your deal. And then you've got to take your iPhone and your boarding pass or your, and your ID and pack it all away very, very quickly shortly thereafter so that you can go through the rigmarole of taking off your shoes and your belt and, and being humiliated in the name of security. <laughs> uh, did that come out? Did I say that in my outside voice? Uh, well, but, if they, if they touch you, which no, it it's like the whole they thing always is, choose you. They, the whole thing is humiliating, whether you're putting your arms over your head and, you know, waving them like you just don't care or you're getting touched by somebody else. It's all just humiliation and taking off your shoes in the name of security. But anyway, mm. uh, so I, I, uh, just before I left on this last trip, I'd gotten a box of goodies from spec, the people that make cases. And uh, one of the things in there was a case that they called their candy shell card. And it's one of these cases that fits uh, three 
cards uh, or things the size of cards in behind your iPhone in the case. And I thought, you know, let me try this because when I'm at home, I, I carry a lot of cash and, and you certainly could fit cash in this case too. You, you know, you could just fold up some cash or whatever and fit it in. But, uh, but you know, when I'm traveling, I rarely use cash. I'm, I'm even at the airport. If I buy food, I charge it so that I can track the expense and all that stuff. And so I put two cards and my driver's license in there and it was awesome. And actually, once I got to where I was going, I'd got my hotel room key, which is now, of course, also a card. And I had one credit card, my driver's license and my hotel room key in my iPhone at all times. And it really doesn't make it that much thicker than uh, than it would in any other case that you'd put on your phone. And it was awesome. Uh, I, it's so much so it's so awesome that I've I, I figured once I got home, I'd go back to a much thinner case or even no case on my 5s and uh and no i'm gonna leave it on here it's really handy if we're if i've got to get in the car and go somewhere real quick i don't need to think hey where's my uh you know where's my wallet with my license so that i have my license in the car blah 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 now i've always got it of course if i lose my phone then i'm screwed but that you know that that just goes without saying uh so really cool. The, uh, the spec, uh, candy shell card it, it surprised me how much I like it. So, uh, so I, I share that out there for anybody who's perhaps traveling or looking for someone to, uh, to, to get a gift for some traveler. So that's number one, John is nice. Uh, now, um, yeah, I'll remember what the, I'll remember the question later. Okay. No, but I did have a, uh, all right. No, uh, credit cards. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, passbook. So passbook. So people, uh, so people that offer tickets or whatever have to, I guess, work with Apple in order to make it available. So, so it no. sounds like the airlines that you don't have to work with Apple. You can send, oh. I could create a passbook file on my computer with no help from Apple and no approval from Apple and send it to you via email and you could add it to your passbook. I mean, you would have to you would have to agree to add it to your passbook, of course. But uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, the, the the for the airlines, it's it's inside their app. Like you know, I download, I check in on the app, and it says, "Do you want to put your boarding pass in?" And I say yes, and then boom, I'm done. Okay, and that has yeah. a barcode which they scan in, like the paper one. And oh, okay, so yes. you, you so the, the the so whatever airline doesn't have to have any sort of agreement with them beforehand. Oh, okay, I I honestly haven't used passbook for that though i'd yeah. like to because yeah typically i print out on paper just as a backup though on occasion i have used yeah i'll, I'll sometimes refer to the email and display that and if they have an optical barcode scanner then that yep. works just just fine yep if it's on the iphone okay yep. cool cool yep yeah it's cool i uh it, it it actually works great uh and what's cool is and and you can uh the people creating these passbook entries can add some metadata to it and one of the things that you can add is uh, is when and where this pass code or passbook would be relevant. And so I can add my boarding pass the day before, but it doesn't start showing up on my phone. It starts showing up on the lock screen uh, as a like a swipeable thing, maybe three hours before my flight or, or six hours before my flight or something like that. So, OK, I see. All right. So I just brought it up. So Passbook has a scan code option, but then it has apps for Passbook. So some people got it. do it, offer apps that will integrate with Passbook, but you can do your own thing if you want to. Totally got can. it. OK, yep. very nice. So the other thing, you know, the, the first trip that I did, John, was uh, involved a lot of driving down and back to to well, I went down to Princeton, New Jersey, and, and then up to Montreal for a conference and then back home. And uh, there's a lot of noise happening outside here. 
Is that you or me? I think it's me here. Anyway. That's you. What do you got going on? I have gotta... no idea what's going on here. But uh, because because the guys that are supposed to do our leaves are not supposed to come this week. They're supposed to come next week. So this <laughs> Oh, they got little... the leaf blowers out? Uh, it's, nice. I can't imagine what else that noise is. But anyway, we'll find out what they are. It's fine. Uh, so... Uh, in in uh, in the interest of making my travels more fun and and being able to track things better in the car, I got one of those automatic things, which it, which plugs into the ODB two port of your car, the same place that the uh, mechanics plug into. And uh, that is really, I mean, I'm in a soundproof room. What is Why going don't you go on yell outside? Uh, yeah, yeah, this is crazy. I'm gonna go find or out tweet, what's going on outside. I'm gonna tweet, pause this real quick, John. Hang tweet on. the noise gate. All right, I'm back. Yeah, yeah, it's the uh, it's the leaf blower guys. I talked to them this morning. Said uh, you can come anytime after Thursday, and uh, and of course here they are. So this might wind up being a nice uh, a nice free leaf blowing experiment for us this year. All right, so I got one of these automatic things, John, which plugs into the car's ODB two port and has a Bluetooth four low energy uh, circuit in it, and it syncs up with my phone and uh and gets information about the uh about the car as the as the trip goes on but it also yells at me by way of beeps anytime i do something that it considers not great for my fuel economy which is braking uh uh quickly accelerating quickly or driving over 70 miles an hour for any extended period of time and uh, and of course you can you know turn these things on or off these mm-hmm. mornings but uh but it's actually pretty cool and, you know, I've got, uh, as I mentioned, I have a, a BMW X3, John, which actually has a lot of this kind of stuff in it in a different way. I mean, it monitors my, it doesn't tell me what my fuel costs have been, but it monitors my average gas mileage and all that stuff. But uh, but it's pretty cool. And it tell, it'll tell me, you know, what any given trip has, uh, has cost me based on the average fuel expenses in my general area. And, uh, and it's cool. So, uh, you know. It's uh, it's at automatic.com, and it, I think it's 100 bucks to uh, buy the thing, and then you download the app for your iPhone. They've got an Android app coming, but they don't have, uh, but they don't have it so yet. So. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, you were gone. I was babbling about um, CarMD, which is another device that okay. uh, hooks into that port, and that's, a, that's more for, so it sounds like automatic is more for, you know, the uh, performance... Yeah, I didn't realize you could do that. I thought that that port was just for when you got the check engine light and you wanted I, to know what the heck it was uh, talking about. But apparently you can get way more data than just yeah. what's wrong with the car. Okay, And, and it nice. will. If you ha- if your check engine light is on, it will tell you what the error is and, and potentially even let you reset it. Uh, I have not experienced that yet, so I can't tell you what that's like. But uh, No, it's a Beamer. I would hope not. <laughs> well, no, no, my check engine light comes on. But when it does, I get an email from the from the dealership saying, hey, you, you got to schedule an appointment, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Oh, uh, nice service. It yeah. is. Yeah, my car has its own like radio in it, and it's constantly in touch with pr- presumably, you know, my dealership and the NSA, I would I would assume. <laughs> it's, I, that's what I assume. <laughs> uh, lastly, but not leastly, I was blown away yesterday, John. I went to the mall um, and and I, I regret that decision uh, for everything except mm. it. That uh, I don't like, you know, shopping and all that. But we went with the family. My mom was in town and she wanted to get the kids birthday presents. So we went to the mall yesterday. And my daughter, 13 years old, uh, as we were checking out at each clothes store, she whipped out her iPhone, pulled up the store's website, found a coupon 
And it, at two different places, she got us 25% off of, of whatever it was we were going to buy. And uh, I'm like, dude, how did you know? She's like, well, dude, I don't have as much money as you do. She's like, I have to save. I'm like, well, I, I have to save too. Like, I don't, if I can save 25%, that's great. She said, yeah, I do it all the time when I'm at the mall with my friends, pull up a coupon and, uh, and you're good to go. So, uh, so it's true. You know, a lot of these stores, if not all of them have some sort of, you know, mobile based discounts this time of year and all, I mean, literally all she did was she would go to the webpage, see the coupon. She was, she's smart enough to take a screenshot of it just so she doesn't have to navigate and find it like at the moment of truth. But, uh, but then she just shows them the screenshot and 25% off. Thank you very much. So, uh. It's good stuff, I, you know. So I share that tip because it's a because it save might save you money. Nice. Now I've been doing a couple of those too, Dave. So um, I'll just toss these out uh very very quickly here. So I have them in the barcode category on my uh my uh new iPhone here. Okay. I'll work on the other one. Yep. But uh, Red Laser is one app that does this, and another one is called Shop Savvy, where it scans the barcode. And uh, I think Red Laser is is moving in the direction of telling you, okay, well, people around you or online have this product for this much money, whereas, mm-hmm. and then of course you're at the store, you can see how much they have it for. Sure. And the, and another one called Shop Savvy does kind of the same thing. It'll be like, yeah, I can alert you. And I think the other one I have in this category is called Card Star, which, um, you know, if you have a loyalty card, it will tell you about specials and all that. So yeah, having the, uh, you know, I'm sure some retailers really hate it. <laughs> But, um, you know, if you want to get the guess, the best price on something, you know, having a phone that can both scan a barcode and then communicate with the Internet is uh, yeah. is the way for you to save some serious cash. Yeah. So nice stuff. Yeah, I saw something I needed yesterday and uh, I pulled it up in the Amazon app after scanning the barcode in the store. And Amazon was like, well, we have this for, you know, whatever. Oh, 20 percent too. That's right. 20 yeah, percent cheaper. Yeah. And it was like, oh, OK, perfect. Sold. Press the button. Done. It'll be here Wednesday. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, so another great way to uh, to get some money for things that you are going to buy is uh, is by working with our first sponsor, which is Gazelle. Gazelle.com will buy back your old iPhones or iPads or even some of your laptops. And uh, so if you've just bought a new iPad Air and you have an old one that now you're ready to get rid of or you're planning to get an iPad mini or even planning to get an iPad Air, uh, but if you or or if you just have extra stuff laying around, go to gazelle.com, put in what you have, see what it's worth. And uh, and it can be great. I sold off. Um, I sold off tons of things with uh, with Gazelle. And it's <laughs> unlike what John went through with uh, with his phone carrier that will remain unnamed. Uh, everything I've done with Gazelle has been flawless. It's uh, you know, they tell me a price. And they stick to it. And and I really have to say, I know that they their policy is that they uh, reserve the right to um, to to uh, to to reevaluate, obviously, because they're when you when you go to them, you you evaluate your product because they haven't seen it yet. And they give you a quote based on what condition you say it's in. And they give you some guidance as to how to pick that condition. Uh, you know what what kind of things classify it one way or another. But uh, I've never had it get it wrong for me. And, and for most of you that have emailed, I mean, they've been a sponsor for a while. And many of you have used it and I've heard nothing but good things. I'm sure there are times when somebody says, oh, it's flawless. And they come back and they're like, yeah, except for this crack in the screen and the scratch on the back. Yes. You know, we're going to have to lower that number. Uh, I'm sure that happens. But uh, but 
by and large, these these guys, you know, they they deliver what they say they they're going to deliver, and their customer service is top notch. Uh, I, I've experienced it as of many of you. So no it, no money ever comes out of your pocket. The way the process works is this: you go to the website, you plug in what you have, what condition it's in, they give you a price. If you like the price, they ship you a box, no cost to you. You take your device when you get the box, you put it in the box, you seal it up. The tape to seal it up with is in the box. So literally nothing has to come from you except for the device. Uh, then you ship it back to them prepaid. Again, no cost to you. They get it. They evaluate it. Make sure that what you sent them is what you said you were going to send them. And then they send you your money. That's it. The only time money exchanges hands is at the end of the process when they are paying you. Very, very simple. Very straightforward. And uh, and they're great people to work with. So I highly recommend it if you're doing any sort of uh device upgrading or anything like that this this uh this holiday season and you can check them out at gazelle.com all right john let's move on to uh let's move on to some questions shall we go to sir roger here i don't know if he's sir roger I don't he, he is in my sir. mind he is in my mind but he he uh but i'd knight him if i could i'd knight him if i could let's just say that <laughs> i dub thee sir roger mm-hmm. all right but I don't have a sword. I need a sword to do that. That's right. right. So here's what Roger said. So Roger writes in. Oh, he sent the screen snapshot, which I got to mention. Oh, gosh, that is so helpful. If you can do it and it doesn't take up too much space. But he says, guys, I've been getting this pop up since installing Mavericks. Is it safe to install or is it best to still avoid flash running under a browser? And the screenshot that he sent uh, says the following. Safari Power Saver. Click to start Flash plugin. What does this mean? And I'll tell you what it means. So I said to Roger, you'd be getting a different. So his question was, should I be running Flash? And the thing is, based on as far as I can tell, he is already running Flash. Flash is, is installed. I agree. This yep. is a different. This is a different feature. So this is one of the highlights of Mavericks. And it's a new feature in Safari called Safari Power Saver. And basically, what it does is it prevents, uh, it can help you prevent running uh, content that can waste energy or power when you don't need it to. And Flash is one of those things that potentially could be running in the background and sucking down power. So they put a feature in Safari that will basically say, hey, would you, you know, like me to start this up again so you can view it? So, so it's intelligent about this, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's very. Yeah, so, that's, that's, so that's one question. Now, that, where will you find this? You may ask. And I'll tell you, Dave. Go. You may not have asked, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Because <laughs> you need to know this stuff here. So if you go into the latest version of Safari and you go to preferences. And then, yeah. So if you want to dig deep and, and learn more about this, if you go into preferences and then go to advanced, you will see. An entry, internet plugins, and there will be a checkbox saying stop plugins to save power. So he has that checked. Now uh-huh. you could uncheck that if you'd like. And if it is checked, you will then see a list of the plugins that, uh, you know, this feature will alert you to. And it's not just Flash. It could be other ones as well. Wait, the, where is this? Tell me where this is again. Safari. Yeah. Preferences. Right. Advanced. Yes. Third item down, internet plugins. plugins. Oh, yes. I this like is what's it. doing that. 
and I, I believe with the new Safari. So, so it's it's not really a Mavericks thing. It's more a Safari thing. Though, of course, the latest Safari, you have to run with the Mavericks. Well, no, you don't. Yeah, because there's because there's an what internet plugins section in uh, in the security pane too, which is why I was confused. But yeah, go keep going. This is good. Yeah, right. So actually, this is not a Mavericks feature. This is a, a Safari feature because the thing is, Dave, I'm seeing this on my system that is not running Mavericks but running Mountain Lion. Oh, so this is a Safari feature that will again let you uh, will disable plugins and will help save power huh so that's answer number one so the thing is uh but but you know to his question now his real question all right so so we kind of took a tangent but sure. you know <laughs> i wanted to explain to him what he was seeing here so he's seeing a feature in the latest safari and that's great and you, you know you and and it, it you know i gotta say between Safari and Mavericks, I mean, they've definitely included a lot of technology to help you save energy, which, you know, isn't really a big deal so much with a desktop like my Mac Mini, but it certainly is with a MacBook or any portable computer. You want to save every ounce of battery power and you don't want to be running things that don't need to be run. And, and I have to feature. say with with Mavericks, it works. My my MacBook Air, uh, two year old MacBook Air sees probably um, at least an extra 45 minutes of battery life with Mavericks, if not an hour. And that's been true throughout all the beta process. I mean, it, this is this is a core thing of Mavericks, which is great. I would say, yeah, because they have AppNap or what is it? Um, that's right. Is it AppNap? I think. App. Yeah, so, uh, I've noticed on, on my MacBook Pro where I typically know, you know, these have the older batteries, you know, mm -hmm. movable batteries. Uh, I'd say, yeah, I've, I've noticed uh, typically I'll see about two hours under normal usage. And, and as of late, I, I think I've seen about two and a half hours Yep, or maybe two and three quarter hours. So, uh yeah. Now, as to his question, should I be running Flash? That's a topic that has it's a holy war. John. Many, many people shaking their fist. Yes. My personal opinion, Dave, is I'll install Flash, I'll run Flash, and I will be sure to update Flash. The the problem that some people has with Flash, or number one, is that yeah, it sucks down the juice. Right. You know, it does animations, and that, that can you know tax your GPU and your processor. And, and the, the other problem some people have is that it could uh, potentially introduce security holes. So the thing is, I go to a lot of sites that use Flash. I don't have a problem running it, but make absolutely sure that you're running the latest version of Flash that prevents people from uh, hacking your system through Flash, because it does have uh, you know ways for people to uh, compromise your system. If you're not careful. So that that's my recommendation. Now, I don't know about you. I, I suspect that you do the same that I do, Dave, is that you I run do. Flash, but you're careful yeah. about it. I mean, yeah. to me, the, the whole thing about I'm never going to run Flash and stuff, which I know some people. Uh, know, Gamut's like, do that. like that. Jeff Gamut's like that. He doesn't run yes, Flash. Yes, he is. And it's a pain in the neck because, you know, there'll be times when it's like, dude, you have to check this out for your job. He's like, oh, well, I don't have Flash on my computer. Like, well, you put it on then. Just install it because you need it for what you're doing. There's there's still too many things. There's still, too, from my standpoint, there's still too many things out there that that require it or use it or need it that that I I choose to run it. But Mavericks or the the new Safari makes it better because not only will it sleep yeah. it there, it'll sleep I think all plugins on non-active Windows right or, or right. even well, non-active tabs. That's what this yeah. feature does. Okay. It, it, okay. It, yeah, it's smart about it, and and you will eventually it'll build up, start building up a list of them. Right. And actually, I saw that on my MacBook Pro. It'll build up a list of sites, uh, and the plugins that uh you know it decides that hey, would you kind of like to put this on pause when you, yeah. you don't really need to use it? And that's to me, good. that's great. So hopefully that'll make our friend Jeff 
tolerate I doubt it now. Yeah, I do. He's 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 kind of crazy that way. (laughs) That's right. All right. Uh, Felix writes in power related issues, but but on different devices. But some of the same engineers, I think, responsible. Felix says, I'm having battery issues with my iPhone five. I know you guys have discussed this a lot on the show. Is there any one show that you could point me to? No. In fact, we've kind of spread out the discussion. So this is a good time to to consolidate and actually bring up uh, another thing that that I found recently, too. So. Uh, there are a few places to look the, the first, and I'm, I, you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make it uh, an assumption that Felix's battery issues are that his battery is running down faster than he wants it to. That may or may not be the issue, but that's what we're going to talk about here. So the, um, the first thing that I've found is there are a couple of apps now, uh, that can really help you identify what other apps you might have running on your phone that are known battery offenders. Um, and, and the, there's two apps, they do it in different ways. Uh, the first one that I really like is called carrot. And I think it's from the folks at, at UC Berkeley. I want to say, um, it's the, they're both free apps. So you're good to go there. Uh, and when you run carrot, it, it pulls your phone and then pulls up essentially two reports. One is called the bug report and bugs are things that have been known to cause extended battery usage or extensive battery usage on everyone's devices. Uh, but it tells you what of those are running on yours. And then they come up with the hog report, which are things that are taking up lots of battery power on your phone, uh, but not necessarily everyone else's or certainly more on yours than anyone else's. And that can be handy. You need to run carrot once a day. Uh, although I think now it does run in the background, but, uh, but it's still good to launch it once a day and, and check that out. So, so carrot might be able to identify some of these. Another one is Battery Saver from KS Mobile. And, uh, and again, this is just another iOS app. It's, uh, it's, it's a happy little app that runs on your phone. And it does a couple of interesting things. A, uh, it's got a power usage category, which will show you what active apps are known to be juice hogs. And when I run it on mine, it tells me that, you know, Facebook uh, is probably the worst. And, and it is the worst. No question about it. Uh, but uh, but others as well, you know, it identifies which apps uh, you should or shouldn't use and and what system services are using a lot of power. Uh, and then it's also got a section where they call it mobile speed. And what this does is it looks at how um, how full your iPhone's memory is or your iPad's memory. And it allows you to reallocate memory with a touch of a button. And what it does is it just kind of forces apps to do some garbage collection and, and free up um, free up RAM, which which then makes new apps launch faster. So uh, so that's uh, those are the those are the two apps that uh, that I recommend. If you want to get a little geekier, you can. And I found this to be really helpful, but it's a pain in the neck. It involves using the iPhone's own logging abilities. So you go into settings. General about diagnostics and usage. And then in here, and that diagnostics and usage is almost at the bottom. You have to turn on automatically send. If you don't, it will not save any of these logs. But once you turn that on and after you've waited at least 24 hours and one charge cycle, uh, you can go then from that screen into the next page, which is diagnostic and usage data. And there's a couple things here. There are logs that start with AWDD and uh, and these 
or sorted by date or, or labeled by date, I should say. And then also sorted by label. So sorted by date. And, uh, and if you look in these, it's a really long, tedious log file to parse through, but you're looking for things that have bundle ID fields. Um, and if you have the developer tools installed, you can actually pull these logs off your device and scan through them on your Mac and use find functionality. And, and that can make this a lot easier, but you can scroll through them on your phone and you're looking for things that have a bundle ID field. And then in there, look at, at those that are being referred to, uh, by using power consuming services like Bluetooth location, that sort of thing. And it's normal for some things to use these. But if you notice, like I had one app that was doing every five minutes was doing a location services lookup. And I realized yeah. it was, oh yeah, it was an app I hadn't even launched. This is actually really important. I hadn't even launched this app on that phone. I had installed it on a previous iPhone and, uh, and the app isn't even available anymore, but it had migrated through when I did my migration to the next phone and the app ran in the background without me ever having launched it once on that device. And, uh, and it was running every five minutes, chewing up my battery. And once I deleted it, that, that stopped. Only way I found it was in that, that, uh, AWDD log. Well, now, now in that case though, from what I've seen, Dave, is that, um, you know, if you look in the menu bar, I'll call it on an iDevice, you will see, you know, the little kind of compass needle thing and it'll be full. Mm-hmm. When somebody's using location services and it'll be an outline if someone has used it recently, though, you may not necessarily no. know who has done it. It will be. Oh, full. it didn't do this. It will be full if it's being in use and it will if be active. Out, right. Yes. It will be outlined if you have a geofence set. Oh, in the menu bar. Uh-huh. So you may have a geofence set, John, or some app using a geofence. And you can look oh. that up by going to. Uh, settings and I think it's now in privacy location services right. and you see those same things you see the full thing for apps that have used it recently in gray actively in purple I think and then um, and then uh, the outline tells you about a geo that it's a geofence and that little key is at the bottom mm-hmm. yes I know so if you oh. always have a, a an outline up there, something is using it constantly. Ah, I just learned something new. Yeah, I thought the outline had a different meaning. Hey, yeah. well, that's what we do. Oh, good. No, I think they changed that. No. It's always okay. been that way. But it's good to know. Oh, okay. No, I'm sorry. No, I misspoke here. Yeah, so the gray one means that someone used it recently. Okay. But yeah, you're right. Okay. No, so I learned about the outline, what the outline means. Yeah. yeah very good. What's geofence? Uh, if you want to have uh, like one place you can use geofences is with alerts, right? So you can say, alert me to buy milk when I'm near the store or alert me Mm. to right or alert me to, uh, call my wife when I get to the office or that kind of thing. But there's, I mean, you can, there's all kinds of different uses for this. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. All right. You want to take us to Greg now, John? I will, and I just learned something, Dave, that the uh, export PDF feature of uh, Mail doesn't seem to do what I expected here, but I have a backup. That's why I have two... Well, no, I just read the PDF file that I exported, but it didn't have the question. But I have it on my other machine. That's why I have two computers. Right. I should have two screens. But here we go. So from Greg, great question here. And this is one we can certainly bat around. Um, 
Hi, John and Dave. I have a couple of Seagate Free Agent Go hard drives, and recently one of them has stopped working on my 2011 iMac running 10.8.5. The power indicator lights on the drive will come on, but it won't show up in Finder or the desktop. The other hard drive works fine, plugged into the same port and USB cable. Okay, that's evidence number one. Or data point number one. Then he also says, the drive that isn't recognized works fine when plugged into my older 2007 iMac, also running 10.8.5. I think I've reached the end of my troubleshooting abilities and now turn to you for any help you could offer. And I wish we could offer some help, Dave, but this just just totally baffles me. But no, we both had some uh, advice here. So I said to Greg, hello, Greg, or hi, Greg. First, Seagate. I said to him, has a dandy troubleshooting guide on their site, and they do. It's called Troubleshooting for External Drives, which is what this thing is, in essence. Sure. So, um, and so I, I looked at that as well to, to get some advice here, but, uh, and, and it offered some uh, you know, good tips here. But yeah, so, so he, he, he gave us some data points here, and I, I suggested the following as things that he, would, he should check or try out. So first... What if he plugs the unresponsive drive into another USB port on the machine where he does not see it? And it sounds like he did not do that. So he said he plugged in one drive and then the other, but it was on the same USB port. So right. Oh, right. Could yeah, be a okay. flaky USB port. Yeah. Just saying, could be. So yeah, especially if one drive is, is asking for power and the other isn't, that might, you know, yeah, yeah, certainly. Now, it could, could be. be that the drives are of uh, different varieties and that one may need more power than the other. And that USB port is providing enough to one and not the other. So, isn't so that, that was my first, isn't that what I just said? Yeah. Pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, 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 uh, okay. just reiterating. Yes. All right. Good. <laughs> then number two, always try this. It sounds like he's using the same cable. So item number two, try a different cable. Cables can get flaky as well. They may not always uh, reliably transfer power or freak out after a certain amount of power. So who knows? Right. And then number three, and this one I think is important, and actually the Seagate documentation or uh, troubleshooting guide uh, talked about this. Um, what if you run disutility? Do you see it in disutility? Just because you don't see it mounted in the finder doesn't mean the Mac doesn't see it at some level, right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to say that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and that you could certainly have a drive that shows up in disutility, but because maybe perhaps due, a, due to a uh, uh, damaged or corrupt partition table or something of that sort. Yep. Is that the drive shows up, but the Mac doesn't recognize it because there's something wrong again with the partition or, or, or some other aspect of the drive that uh, disutility may let you see and or fix. So. Those were the three things that I had to offer, Dave. And then I think you you had maybe I, the, a, a half or, or, or an additional thing yeah, to try out. The only other thing, if if all of that fails, or or perhaps before you even try that, uh, launch system information, which again, uh, the easiest way to get there is to hold down the option key, go to the Apple menu and choose system information. Uh, and then because mm. this is a USB drive, click on USB in the hardware category. And check out what shows up there. In theory, you should see a hierarchical view, hierarchical view, which is whichever is the right word. Choose that one. Uh, And and it will tell you what devices it sees connected. And if one of those devices is a disk, 
it should show you the partitions on the disc. Now, because it's not mounting, you're almost certain to not see those partitions listed, but you might see that the disc is listed or that the controller is listed. And you, and so you might get this, you might get some more information there, or if you don't see any of it listed, then it means that your computer doesn't even know that something's plugged into that USB port or USB cable. And that in and of itself is, is, um, you know, is an indication that you've got a problem. My guess with this, John, is that mm. it's the enclosure, not the drive. Um, because if it were the drive and he plugged it in, he would get some kind of error message. Can't mount this. Do you want to format it? That kind of thing. But if the enclosure is just not reporting that it's doing anything, then you'll get nothing. And that that's my guess is, is, uh, you know, I mean, he's, I think you're right. He should test a different cable, but if the cable works with one drive, that's a, I mean, it's an indication that the cable works. So, you know, that I, yeah, yeah. My guess is it's the enclosure and not that that's a good thing, but it is a thing. Right. And I have two things to say about that. Go. So number one, in my recent travels, Dave, I was, I was severely disappointed because, uh, one of the shows that I went to, um, and we'll talk about one of the other shows I went to recently. Yeah. But I brought my iPhone with me, and I also brought my um, um, uh, XP2000, I think, Energizer backup battery pack because I knew that my phone would probably die. Mm-hmm. And I brought an inexpensive cable, lightning cable that I bought online. But I didn't test it, Dave, and I should have. Because what happened is my phone was almost dead, and I plugged the battery pack, which has a USB port, and then I plugged it into the phone, and it said, up, oh, unrecognized cable. I'm like, oh, Give me a break, dude. We talked about this. I bought. No, the thing is, I bought one of our uh, one of our friends, Pat, recommended a place to buy some inexpensive cables. There were a couple of bucks each, and I bought four of them. This was the one cable that didn't work out Ah, of the batch. Three others worked fine. No, he said and he told me, yeah, these are great cables. You know, I use them. They're inexpensive. And I tried three of the cables. The thing is, I threw this one into my my, you know, computer bag and had not tested it. So I, you know, unwrapped it, plugged it in. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So um, (laughs) always test the cable first because, yeah, my phone, my phone basically died. But by the end of the day, I didn't make it through the day. I I, I was at 100 percent. In the morning, and then I wasn't in the evening. So yes, uh, in the morning. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right, John. We have uh, we have an interesting question from Robert here that we will play and see what see what we have to say. Hey, speaking, I got caught. This is Robert Hazelrig, and I caught you uh, in the uh, video for the most recent. Apple event where they uh, yes. talked about the new Mac Pro. Um, I had a good seat taking pictures, and I know you saw that on Facebook. This is Robert Hazelrig. I'm calling you though, not to you know just bloat uh, or gloat, I should say, <laughs> not to just gloat about catching you on the uh, show. Um, but uh, I have an issue with Apple TV. Ever since the most recent update to iTunes. Apple TV is really annoying me. And what it's doing is it's taking all the movies that I have ripped onto my, um, into my iTunes library. In other words, I've purchased the movie legally and ripped it onto uh, or into iTunes using uh, either Handbrake or um, Mac the Ripper or something along those lines um, to get things up there. Um, but all those movies that I've moved into 
uh, iMovie no longer appear in the movie section on my Apple TV. They've all been shifted into my family videos. And I don't know why, because if I select a movie, I've listed it, you know, I've categorized them with genres. Like I have some sci-fi, I have some romantic comedies and, and, uh, and the like, uh, but they all appear now in my, um, in my home videos and, and iTunes, which is really annoying. Um, one of the nuances though, is that they appear there, um, under the unwatched area too. So, um, for me to go in and, and, uh, find them, I have to go to the videos that I have, the home videos that I have not watched. Is that making any sense? I'm certain that this, mm-hmm. uh, this audio track is too long to be on the show, but, uh, um, yeah. you can summarize it if you'd like to get in touch with me. All right. Well, good. Yeah. Take it, John. Go. So Dave tossed this one to me to get me to, you know, grok the Apple TV or just, just to you know, keep me on my toes here. That's right. And so I responded to Robert and I think I got it. Actually, he confirmed I got it right here. But so I said to him, Robert, even though I'm relatively new to the Apple TV, I think I grok your question. So what I think I heard him say, Dave, was that he had items in the movies section in iTunes. And they're now appearing in the home video category on the Apple TV. And also probably in past, in, probably in iTunes now, too, under home videos, I would guess. Right. Yes. Whereas in the past, he expected them to appear in the movies category on the Apple TV. Right. And if that's the case, and I even did this. So I actually, you know, ripped a movie uh, being there, if you must know, which is a wonderful oh, movie. Chauncey Gardner. <laughs> Right? Yes. Okay. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Peter Sellers, Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. I, I thought it was an outstanding movie. I, I agree. Very good. Yeah. What was it? Raul that, uh, that he gave the quote to, right? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot. I, I remember the quote. Yeah. The, the yeah, guy yeah, on yeah. the street here. Yeah. The guy on the street. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Raphael, um, Raul. I can't remember. Raphael. Raphael. Okay. That was it. You sorry. tell that. Okay. That's no, right. Yeah. It's Raphael. Yeah. Sorry, the outtakes that are wrong. good too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, back on track here. So the thing is, what I think happened or to solve his problem, and then I'll explain what happened. To solve his problem, what he needs to do is to go to get info on the movie in iTunes, then click on the options tab, and then there is a media kind pull down. What he needs to do is switch it back to movie from home video. Now, why should he have to do this? The only thing I can conclude, Dave, is that iTunes, <laughs> in its infinite wisdom, decided that it should switch all his movies back from movie to home video. And he confirmed that. He wrote back to me and said, yes, that's exactly what happened. So he sent a fish shake to uh, via email, I guess, to Apple. And it's like, why did you guys change the categorization that I applied to the movie? And moved it back to something else. That's what happened. Yes. So uh, he spent all this time to categorize them. And then uh, the latest iTunes update, apparently for whatever silly reason, or maybe it wasn't the latest iTunes, though it sounds like it was Dave, but uh, it decided to change the category to something different. 
And then it appeared in a different category when he looked at it on his Apple TV, which to me is I think we shake. we first saw this about a year ago mm-hmm. when Apple pushed out the the kind of the big major iTunes update that turned out to be just more disappointment layered on top of uh, of disappointment <laughs> cake. But uh, <laughs> but it it we it was and it was the same thing. What they did is they take anything that's not a an Apple purchased movie and call it or an apple protected movie and call it home videos and and that includes anything that's in the the m4v format that that handbrake converts to however the good news is because this is uh this has been around for a little while doug's apple script for itunes at dougscripts.com does have a script that will allow you to set the video kind of all of the movies you have selected in one fell swoop and so we will put that in uh, in the show notes because that's a that's a handy little way to uh, to fix this because it it's bound to keep happening. If you rip more movies, Robert, it's going to do it. So uh, so, you know, you could create like an automator action that you drop the movies onto and then it imports them into iTunes and sets the kind and all that kind of stuff. Or uh, you could just use these. So uh, Doug's Apple scripts is a great place. Anytime you're trying to do anything in iTunes and you feel like it's about to be a repetitive task, stop and visit dougscripts.com and uh, and you may wind up saving yourself a lot of headache and heartache because they do a great job over there. So it's good, right? It's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're banging through these questions. I like it. This is good. This is how it should be. All right, John, take us to, uh, take us, you're on a roll. So take us to Ken. Oh man. I think my roll stopped here. Hold on. <laughs> think of Think about jelly rolls. I had jelly donuts. Mm, yum. Yeah. Wait a second. Oh what? no, it's the wrong. Hold on. Hold on. Do you want me to read it? Ken, right? Yeah. I, think I have the wrong Ken question. Uh, hold on. I see right. multiple ones here. Okay. I'm sorry. Here we go. Got it. Yes, go. Okay. This this could be deserving of another fish shake. <laughs> uh, Ken writes, Dave, John, is there any way to close bookmarks automatically when you select the link you are looking for? In Safari. In Safari is my assumption here. And Dave, you know what? It looks like Apple did it again. So I basically wrote back to Ken, and I don't know. This could be a geek challenge, Dave, or an opportunity. Yes. And I said to Ken, this looks to be a change that can't be circumvented for now. I think the best you can do is close the bookmark section with either control command one or shift command L. Those will both close the bookmarks sidebar. Both of them? Yeah. One specific one's more general. I think control command one closes the bookmarks bar and shift command L closes the uh, sidebar. You, you can find it if you look in the uh, oh, I see. view menu. I see. I see. I see. So if I'm in like yeah. reading list mode, shift command L will simply open my reading list. Whereas if I'm in reading list mode and I do command control one, it will bring me to bookmarks. And I bet command control two brings me to my reading list. Yes, it does. Hey, hey, hey. And you know what? And then, well, you, you could probably do the math on what three does. It brings me to that tweet list if I had my Twitter thing set up, but this isn't yeah, an yeah. machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, so I couldn't find anything. So that's, that's my best advice at this point in time. And Dave, I even scoured 
the list of Safari extensions that have to do with bookmarks and I could find nothing because this seems to be recent behavior. Yeah. But I could find nothing that will undo this. And actually I've, I've noticed this as of late because yeah, I have like almost everybody, I have bookmarks in Safari. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I noticed this is that, yeah, I clicked on it and I, I, it never occurred to me in the past that I think when you click on it, it, it kind of closes it out. Yeah. For now, it doesn't do that anymore. And there's no preference that we're just obviously missing, right? I uh, I I looked carefully and I could not find nothing. Yeah, that, okay. that would have been my guess is it would have been maybe an advanced preference or something under one of the preferences. In, I, in I wonder so, if it's still there as like a uh, one of those things that you can modify the P list. Like a default list or yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't find anything. So. Maybe somebody will write a Safari extension to do this because it sounds like it's mm-hmm. doable. Mm-hmm. You may also want to consider a third-party, uh, you know, bookmarking utility. I think uh, what, what was one we talked about in the past here, oh, X marks, marks or something. Yeah, like that. but this, this, I mean, Safari's bookmarks sync yeah. iCloud. That's a, it's a much better, much better solution than than uh, you know the integrated stuff, especially because of how uh, closed off Safari is in iOS. You know, if you if you're using iOS devices, you really want to use reading list and bookmarks because it's all right there. So. All right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Thanks Apple. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> all right. We got a bunch, we got a bunch of tips to go through. Uh, first though, I want to tell you about our second sponsor, which is Squarespace at squarespace.com slash M G G that lets them know that we sent you Squarespace is an engine that allows you to not only build, but host your website. It allows you to not only host, but build your website. Uh, they do both it together and it's all very integrated in the most beautiful of ways. I've built a lot of websites uh, in the last, whatever, 20 years and never before have I found something that makes it so easy to just do it all at once. They have a drag and drop editor for building your website. If you never want to see a line of CSS, you never have to, uh, never a line of HTML. If you don't want you pick a template and start with that, you start with that before you even put in your name. Uh, you pick a template, you start messing with it. Then you put in the name of your website, then you create an account, then you get a two week free trial. And then when you're done with the two week free trial, you pay. And, uh, and when you pay, you use MGG 11, because it's November the 11th month of the year, MGG 11 gets you 10% off whatever you're going to buy from Squarespace. But they, they do such a good job. They make it easy. If you want to change your template, well, all their templates are built to inherit all your content. So if you find a template that you like better or you simply want a new look, you just change the template and boom, everything's right there. Tweak it around, move it around, do whatever you like to do. Your content stays the same. They have a shopping cart engine, I think, as we've mentioned before. It uh, makes it super easy to set up anything that you want to sell. Uh, I mean, I did this for a show that we did with our band recently, and it literally took me maybe an hour to build the site and integrate the shopping cart. And that included getting an account with Stripe, the payment processor that they have. I had none of it when I started. And in the end, I was just done and I was actually live and taking credit card orders right on the web on my site. So very, very cool stuff. Uh, very, very much worth checking out. It, it, like I said, you get a two week free trial. So if you have a blog, maybe you've got a WordPress blog or something that you've been kind of fighting with because, you know, your host and you've got to coordinate everything. 
they will import all the data from your WordPress blog right into Squarespace. Boom. Done. Then you can use their formats, their hosting, everything. Check them out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Remember MGG 11 to get your 10% off. And uh, I think you'll like it. If you've got any need to put anything on the web, if it's personal, if it's business, or if it's somewhere in between, you know, you've got some club that you're trying to organize stuff for and you just need a place to put it, go to Squarespace. They can do it and then you can send it out, you know, whatever. If you're doing PTO stuff or whatever it is, you got it. It's all right there. Check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. And with that, John, maybe you can take us to, uh, to Keith and, uh, and and he you had an answer to his question, but really the answer is the tip. That's that's the that's the real trick. So go. <laughs> well, first off, it was parsing the question. So Keith writes, guys, going to pick up my new machine today. Any pointers to a show or document with instructions? Now, the only thing I got to say to Keith is, is that that was kind of a general question. I'm going to assume that the new machine he's picking up is a new Mac. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's a safe assumption. Because then he says, any pointers to, to a show or document with instructions? Instructions as to what? Right. Right. Now, well, actually, I'm sorry. The, the subject matter of the email. Okay. No, I'm sorry. That's right. No. So the subject of the email was best way to move stuff from my old MacBook Pro to a brand spanking new one. So, no, he did put that in there. It was not in the body of but the, you've, but it wasn't the subject. You found a killer knowledge base article. And I know well, I, I did. I know I and tried Apple. you. I tried you about your knowledge base articles because a lot of times you just use them as a crutch and then walk away. But but in this instance. No, I don't. Oh, yeah, 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 dude. <laughs> sometimes. But it's OK. It's, it's why we have each other. Uh, I use them as a place for people where people should start. Yes. Yes. But in this in case, this ca- it's awesome. So go. Well, in this case, Apple did their homework and I don't know if they gave it to an intern or somebody, but Apple has updated their support article. And there is one called OS 10, how to migrate data from another Mac using Mavericks. Now I'm going to take a leap here. If he's picking up a new Mac, it's going to have Mavericks on it. And well, again, I'm going to, you know, wimp out here, Dave, and <laughs> point people to the article. But it basically goes over all of the options that you could use, which is migration assistant or setup assistant. And then whether you're doing it through Wi-Fi, Ethernet, FireWire, Thunderbolt, Time Machine, it gives you all the options here. So I have nothing to add. In this case, I will fall back on Apple in this case, Dave. Because, no, I think it's great. Because I have nothing to add and, you know. I don't think you have anything. No, I don't. As soon as when I, when I saw that and, and, and I, I, I tease you about this cause I, you know, as I'm building the agenda, I go through and I see this, you know, very short answer from you with a link to a knowledge base article. It's like, Oh, what a cop out. But I, I always look right. You know, and, uh, and I looked and I'm like, Holy cow, this is a killer knowledge base article. This is awesome. This needs to be in the show. So here it is. Yeah, it's good. It's good. HT 5872. If you're curious, the link is already in the show notes, John. That's good. Amazing. I know. I know. All right. A um, couple of other, uh, a couple of other tips. Listener Michael shares a tip. He says, uh, well, he ran into an interesting scenario. He needed to, he got a new, uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to, to go about this. He says, I've recently upgraded my MacBook to Mavericks. I did not use um, migration assistant. Man, why are we doing this? Yeah. I, right. Uh, I noticed yesterday that the encrypted backup checkbox is enabled in iTunes for my iPhone running iOS 703. 
I vaguely recall enabling this a long time ago, but alas, I do not recall the encryption password. I've tried all my traditional passwords, previous Apple ID passwords, current and prior iPhone lock codes, all to no avail. Also, there is no entry corresponding to it in my one password database. And that's true. You would. The only place it's saved is in your system keychain. And if you didn't migrate that over either with migration assistant or manually, then you would not necessarily have access to this. He says, I really don't care about past backups. I just want to make sure any new ones I generate are usable. So I need to reset this encryption password, but I need the current and unknown password to do this. I still have the bootable clone image from my mountain lion install and able. I'm about to see if I have it on that. Uh, I've looked into the mountain lion keychain and I did not see an entry for the backup encryption password other than a full wipe and clean install of the iPhone. Uh, and this time recording the encryption password somewhere or getting installing some shady programs from the internet that allege they can help me. Are there any other options you can think of? And, uh, and he wound up going through the, the clean install of the iPhone. Now, I don't think that's the only path I, for the record. My, my father-in-law went in, went through this on, on his windows machine. And he did use one of those kind of shady paths on the internet and was able to recover his iPhone backup on his computer without the password. I, I, to this day, I've, I've asked him and his tech guy, what path did you use a, so we could confirm it. And I mean, I know it worked for him, but it would be nice to be able to share and know exactly what it was, but neither one of them can remember what it was. So I, I, if any of you have done any of these things, let us know that would be handy. But I think the other way to do this is to go into where those backups are stored and they're buried inside your uh, your home library mobile backups folder, I think. And uh, and just delete the one that matches the UDID of your iPhone. Mm. And then there is no backup for it to overwrite and you should be able to start from scratch. So that that would have been the other way to do it, um, Michael, because it I, that that should that should work, I hope hope good one that was yeah. my thought as well yeah yeah you may not be able to do it through the the software right because yeah it's gonna it's gonna prompt you but yeah just whack it <laughs> yeah 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 you have to know where to look and well you and i know where yeah to look. well there's Thanks. a knowledge base article out there that tells really uh, yeah yeah oh uh, it does direct you to this you know mysterious uh you know directory yeah i thought there was i thought let me check it out it's ht4946 uh and really Ava, are you using support i, I know i know i, so, I, I i'm i'm gonna i i should try you you should this, no you totally should <laughs> I t- actually I, I i i deserve that um uh, but it it is it will tell you the second entry in there will tell you where they're stored I I use this because I never remember exactly. It's in library home library application support mobile sync backup is where it is on your Mac and uh, and so we will put a link to this knowledge base article in uh, in the show notes as well. So Wimp. what's that? <laughs> Wimp. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good. All right. And you deserved it. So who I did. Is, who or what is next? Uh, so Gosh. Graham has. Um, Graham has a tip that I've actually been trying to adopt. And, uh, and so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about this and, uh, and we'll see what, uh, we'll see what we get. So Graham says, 
I thought I'd pass on a tip that stems from a circumstance where I got caught. In the course of my work, I carry my 13-inch MacBook Pro around with me to clients. And every so often, when the internet isn't working and some research is required, I use the personal hotspot from my iPhone to give my laptop a Wi-Fi connection to the outside world. This works all fine, but the caveat is that, in Australia at least, and that's true here in the U.S., my most phone plans only have a certain amount of included data, and if you exceed that limit, the phone company starts charging you an exorbitant rate per megabyte. Uh, in this particular circumstance, I activated the hotspot and started some research via Safari, but I failed to notice that Dropbox kicked in and started to synchronize a whole heap of photos. That sync traffic cost me almost 100 bucks in 20 minutes. To prevent this from happening again, I have now implemented a specific profile in Little Snitch that's activated when Little Snitch auto detects that the MacBook Pro is using my iPhone hotspot. I set up that hotspot profile to block most outgoing connections. In some cases, the profile specific, specifically blocks an application like Dropbox. But in general, it's set to pop up a request dialog or a request dialog for outgoing requests that I can deny on a case by case basis. The exceptions being Safari, Mail, Calendar, and a few Apple services. When I get back to my office or home, Little Snitch auto detects the network there and activates my normal or more promiscuous profile. This also has the side benefit of cutting down on unexpected, unexpected events appearing on my screen when I'm with a client. I know that you've mentioned Little Snitch before, and I noted that it allows different profiles, but I hope the specifics will be of assistance. Yeah, this is interesting. This is exactly what I'm trying to do with Little Snitch on my MacBook Air. Uh, I, you know, the, 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 the little pop-ups that appear are, are obsessive, uh, and, and, and very distracting so much so that before I covered the last app, I'd been trying to set this up. I figured I'd get a baseline profile going and then create this kind of travel profile so that when I'm in a hotel room or whatever, uh, or, or on my hotspot, it's not trying to, to do all this extra stuff, but I, 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 I still haven't gotten my baseline profile set. Maybe I'm doing, maybe I'm going about this wrong, John, but before the Apple event, I turned little snitch into allow everything. Don't ask me mode or yeah. Allow everything. Don't ask me mode. And, uh, and then I realized the other day that it it's been in that mode ever since, um, because it's just constantly popping up asking me, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want this? Do you want that? And the answer is, I don't want you to ask me. I want to somehow set up a profile that says block these things or only allow these things. And then, and then just be quiet about the rest. But, uh, but I haven't quite grokked how to get there. I know it can do it for me. It just, I, I, I want a shortcut to it. I don't want to have to create all this, but I, but it's a good tip. It's a good tip. So any thoughts on that, John? I know you're a little I, snitch fan. I, Yes, I, I find them somewhat intrusive, but I, uh, it, to me, it's the the amount of information it gives me as to what things are trying to do is gr gives me a greater benefit than the annoyance of getting all the pop ups. And it sounds like that you don't like having all the pop-ups and then that's cool. Well, it slows me no, down. It's, an, it's, it's, it's intrusive. I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree, but I, I learn a lot of new things. Like for example, when new OS updates or app updates come out, all of a sudden I'll see a new service pop up saying, mm -hmm. Hey, I want to go to this site. And I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. What are you like a new daemon or something like that? And I'm like, this is fascinating. So to me, the annoyance is offset by what I learn about how 
the Mac works. But I can understand your point of view, which is that, yeah, it's annoying. It keeps coming up. Now, you could do a once only or a forever rule, which if you do a forever rule for certain yes. things, then that gets rid of it. Now, the, the thing is, though, if you put it you know, too much, like saying allow all traffic through all ports, then why the heck are you even using this? Right. So, yeah. Right. It's, it, no, it well, requires maybe that's, some. Maybe that's what I need to do is set up an allow all traffic on all ports rule when I'm at home. And right. then have this more restrictive thing when I'm mm. traveling and not have it ask me about anything. Just, you know, keep yourself quiet uh, when I'm home. Allow everything when I'm out. Only allow these things. And that's that. And maybe that's right. the right way for me to do it. And and the problem that I've seen, I don't think they've got around it because the way some sites work, for example, if you want to access like so, so for example, through one of my Twitter clients, I want to access the photo and it'll come up and say, hey, I want to go to distillery blah blah dot instagram dot whatever and it's always a different url because they rotate their you know their sites or their you know the addresses and last i checked little snitch doesn't have the ability to be smart about that and then if i want to go to distillery one dot instagram dot com and then later it wants to go to distillery two well, then that's another rule. And it's like, well, why can't you put in a blanket rule? And right. maybe, maybe they fix that. And I haven't looked. But that that to me is the biggest annoyance is that, you know, if I set a rule for a domain, like an Instagram photo, then from that point on, you should allow it. You shouldn't keep asking me. Um, so, no, I'm with you on that. But yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We will, we'll, we'll talk to them. We'll, you know, see what's up with them. Because I think yeah. it's a valuable tool. And, uh, you know, n- not just for discovering where your Mac uh, wants to, th- who it wants to talk to. But, you know, the whole bandwidth thing, I think, is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. So, yeah, Brian Monroe in the chat room. And I'll say hello to everybody at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Uh, he was saying, y- you know, um, it, we just had a little chat back and forth. And, and he effectively said, you know, treat it like a firewall, not like, you know, but its default uh, mode is to sort of create this rule set on the fly, right? With these constant reminders and interruptions. And that's all fine and good if you're in learning mode, right? Curiosity mode. But if you're in trying to get work done mode, that doesn't work, right? You know, so I need to, I need to set aside some time to go in and build a firewall with a little snitch, which is effectively what I just said as we were talking about it here. Now that I'm kind of thinking about it and, and then just leave it alone and not have it pester me. And if I have some problem where something's not working, then I go in and tweak the firewall. But that, I think that's the, that's going to be how I, how I go about this. So I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to mess with it. That's good. All right. Uh, Barry quick tip. He says, uh, you know, one cool thing in uh, iOS seven is that if you bring up spotlight by dragging down in the center of any, um, uh, window on what I would call the springboard, which is where, you know, you launch your apps from, you bring up a little spotlight. If you put a period in there, just one dot, it will list all of your applications in no certain order. Uh, but it, it does show you everything that you have installed. So, uh, cool. Thanks. Good tip, Barry. It's always nice to be able to find this stuff, right? Fun. I like of course. It. Of course. Uh, Tony says, I was just installing KeyQ from Organa software to see if I could help my partner see keyboard shortcuts. And I discovered that I cannot unlock the lock icon in order to make system level OS changes. I clicked on users and groups and selected my name, which is identified as administrator, but the lock will not work. 
Not sure if this was happening. Uh, and I didn't realize it before the Mavericks upgrade, but I'm going to save this email and uh, rebuild permissions and see if it helps. He says he tried no dice. Uh, so he started the uh, download for Mavericks again and getting is getting ready for a reinstall. And then he says geekdom rules. He searched and he found a discussion thread that uh, that pointed uh to an issue, a discussion thread at Apple uh, discussions. And uh, he says the article points to this being an issue in OS 10 for at least a few years. Navigate to home library preferences, com.apple.hitoolbox.plist. Drag that file to your desktop, restart, and then trash it. Everything works normally again. So very, very interesting. Very interesting. It's crazy, but uh, for whatever reason, the I, I'm, I'm guessing that's human interface toolbox dot plist. Hmm. Yeah. For when you can't unlock preference panes. So. I know. But hey, there we go. So we got it. That's the trick. We'll put the link to the Apple discussion there because. Uh, because that way other people will find it, hopefully. All right, John, you uh, we've got a couple of geek challenges to run through here. I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but uh, but we've both been to a couple of events recently. You were at you were at Photo Plus, John, and you you saw a couple yes. of interesting things. What did you see? I'm going to give you a quick rundown. And all I right. promise it'll be quick. Sure. <laughs> and if not, you'll. <laughs> so Photo Plus Expo. This is a show. If you're into photography, um, I'm into it. I, I consider myself a, a somewhat skilled amateur, but this is a show. It's, it's held in Manhattan at the Javits Center uh, every year. And so I got to go there as media, which is great. So I got the bag and all that stuff. But I just want to highlight some of the things that I saw there that I thought were important, uh, you know, for, for the Mac population here. So one, now one that I thought was interesting, and Dave, you're, you're into photography as well, I think, or Lisa is, but I think both of you. Yeah, to a degree. I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an iPhone for photography person i i take all of my pictures with the phone yeah because it's what i have yeah. yeah and i've done that and I, yeah. I like instagram so um you know so what's cool so they had uh you know uh, uh the night before the event really started they had a kind of you know pre-show thing where some select vendors showed up and they also had some talks here mm -hmm. and so one that i thought was really cool was one of the talks so they had it was the future of photography what will photography look like in 10 years now, most people have concluded that, you know, we're, we're beyond the, the point of film photography and we're on digital. But uh, so they had a bunch of people up there from Canon and Sony and uh, Nikon and all the big guys. Then they had Scott Kelby. And I don't know if you've heard of Scott Kelby. I know him but well. This guy, it, really? Yeah. So this I think guy. I jammed with him a little bit, actually. He's a keyboard player. Sweet. Yeah. Really? Uh -huh. Okay. But he's also a photographer and yes. he writes books. Yeah. yeah and this guy. He's Mr. Photoshop it. is what he is, right? Yeah, but uh, but yeah. But he's also a skilled photographer and he mm -hmm. writes books and gives classes and he's he killed it at this talk. So all the other guys from the camera companies were like, yeah, the future of photography is more pixels and more blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, no, let me break the mold here. And he totally did that. And being kind of a research and development guy, I loved his talk here. So his five points here about his future photography and, and it. If if you're into photography, it really makes you think, and it made me think. And and 
to me, it was most the, the, the coolest part of the evening. But he was like, here's the five things I want to see in photography. So number one, the end of the F stop. If you're into photography, you know what an F stop is. His point is perfectly valid. Why should you even have to know about an F stop, which is an aperture, which is part of the, the configuration of a camera? So he said, that's one thing. Number two is, why can't I just have what you see is what you get? And I was like, yeah, because yeah. that doesn't happen with cameras these days. Sure. The third thing he said is the end of screw on attachments. No filters, no tripods, no nothing. Why can't we not have these things? Number four, and this is something where if you get into the technical aspects of a uh, the digital, you know, the electronics that capture things, he's like, noise shouldn't be an issue. And this is for anybody who's tried to shoot pictures in low light. The problem is when you try to do it in low light, all of a sudden you get all this garbage because that's the way the technology works. That was his fourth thing. And his fifth thing was, why can't we use something other than glass for lenses? And the thing is, there are other materials. So that was his five things. And I thought, I, to me, that was the, the most enjoyable part of that evening. But then I also got to meet with some vendors, Dave. And so one of them was Lassie. So, you, yeah, you met, with, a, you met with both Lassie and PNY, and they both have some USB 3 uh, storage things. They got right? some groovy stuff. Okay. So Lassie, and they actually gave me one. Thank you very much. So Lassie introduced at the show here um, the Lassie Porsche Design USB key. So what is this, you may ask? Well, it's a USB 3 Check this because Dave, I haven't seen a lot of these. So, so it's a, a USB three USB key. Now it's stainless steel. It's it's very nice, and I actually put it on my keychain now. Is it any faster is, though? Gosh, well USB three, Dave. So their claim. Now I don't yet have a USB three machine in my house here, but um, the thing is, uh, ninety five megabytes a second. Right, but is the slick. is the RAM on there going to go that fast? I mean, are you well, able to get full it, it, USB 2 speeds out of it? Because I rarely do I find a USB key that I'm able to even get USB 2 speeds out of. Well, the thing is, it, it's USB 2 and USB 3. No, so I, if you have USB. I understand, but but USB 2 or USB 3 is the bus, right? I understand. It, yeah. Yes. Is, the, is the medium fast enough to, to transfer that data? The information I have is yes. Well, you've got to test it. You can't believe these people. <laughs> I've, I, I only ask because I've never seen a USB drive that goes at any reasonable speed, let alone a USB thumb drive, right? Which is what I this haven't, is. I haven't okay. yet done, done we'll detailed test it. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. No, I will. No, yeah. I'll tweet it out. But again, they claim up to 95 megabytes a second, which, yeah, no, yeah. No, no, I'll test it. But yeah. 16 gigs, 29.99, 32 gigs, 49.99. But you don't only get the USB key, which again, you know, so it's stainless steel. Yeah. It's cool because... You know, if you're into, you know, throwing your, you know, USB drive off a building or running over it with a car, I would think it would hold up better than, uh, you know, those plastic ones. Okay. So, um, but they also in include a software suite, which includes backup software, encryption software with AES encryption and cloud backup software. Huh? So to me, that's pretty cool. And All it right. works on both Mac and PC. So that's cool. All right. The other thing I saw that was really neat. So, yeah, and I'm going to link to all of these in, in our, you know, that's already there. lovingly handcrafted show notes. Oh, great. Well, I gave you the file. So the other thing I saw that was kind of neat, Dave, was uh, from PNY. It's a somewhat of an older product, but uh, they call it StoreEdge. What is this? It's a USB um, SD drive. But what it doesn't suffer from, and this is something that PNY addressed, was, Dave, you know, the problem is with a lot of SD cards, they stick out of the side of your Mac. What yeah. A pain in the neck. Right. And if you, if you run against something, whoops, well... 
there goes your drive or your Mac or something. So they basically developed a drive that is low profile and, uh, and yeah, I think we suffer. talked about this over the summer. I want to say, right. They introduced it a number of months ago, but I yeah. saw it and, okay. it and and I saw it and it just struck me as, you know, kind of a novel way of addressing the problem of yeah, you know, totally. the, the drive sticking out there. Yep. 64 gigs for 99 bucks, 128 gigs for 199, you know, so that's from them. I'd be, the I, I, I'd be I, curious to the speed of that one too, because that's even more important, right? Because you could, if, yep. if it's fast enough, you could actually treat it as, you know, storage, like permanent storage on your, on your laptop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we got the link to that. We'll link to that. Um, the third thing I saw. So uh, these guys approached me and, and I thought their software was pretty, uh, pretty slick here. So yeah, this one I'm Fun. curious to hear about Mac fun. Go. Yeah. Well, Mac fun introduced uh, at the show here, something called intensify. Well, they have two versions intensify and intensify pro. And, you know, again, I'm not the pro photographer here, but the best I can say is what this does is it really offers you very fine-grained control over enhancing portions of the photo uh, that you may not necessarily get with other software like Aperture or Lightroom or stuff like that. And actually, they offer a version that integrates. So the thing is, you know, Aperture or Lightroom and Aperture, you know, makes me sad because Aperture, Apple, it seems a kind of ignored, whereas Lightroom, at least Adobe seems to be paying attention to it. But they offer some higher level tools here. But I think what these tools do is really, uh, uh, and I got a quick demo from from one of the product guys, and he showed me that uh, I think the the real thing about this is that it offers you the ability to focus in on a part of the photograph and change the characteristics of it. But it gives you, so not only can you change the characteristics at a higher level, and they give you a lot of pre-done filters, but it also lets you zoom in and, and do it to a particular part of the photo, which is not necessarily a part of what, you know, these, uh, you know, commercial packages will do. Yeah. So I, um, you know, they, they will link to the website. They have, you know, several video demos here showing you, uh, you know, and they got a lot of presets that really let you bring out the detail of something because, you know, it's kind of brought up before here. The problem with a lot of digital photography is that the camera doesn't capture necessarily what you want or what you see. So how do you deal with that? So you got to do some post-processing and um, and actually, some of my pro friends have actually, uh, you know, given me some, you know, pretty positive feedback here and that it really gets you, it lets you get to a level of detail of modifying portions of the photo and enhancing them. That's pretty cool. Uh, that uh, uh, that other software does does not. So, again, it integrates with, uh, you know, uh, Lightroom, Photoshop, uh, I think, you know, Aperture and some other things here. Sure. Uh, and the pricing, you know, is pretty good, too. And I think that's another powerful part. They have their Intensify program is $29.99. Their Intensify Pro, uh, $59.99. And then the other one that I thought was really cool is that uh, the, the guy also sh- showed me something called Snap Heal. Oh, I love Snap Heal. Uh, and the retail price on that is a uh, $14.99. Actually, I just got an email from them, I think, right now for a limited time. If you buy both of them, you get a discount. But Snap Heal... So what Snaphill does is, so say you're taking a photo of, you know, like he showed me, you take a photo of, you know, the, the Parthenon or, or, you know, some great landmark and you got some idiot. <laughs> yes. Well, he may not be an idiot, but in your eyes he is because it'd be a perfect photo if it wasn't for that person standing in the way. And he showed me a demo where this just does a fantastic job of letting you blend out whoever is standing in the way and trying to take the surrounding uh you know, uh, uh, grass or whatever and trying to randomize it and kind of getting rid of that and making it so 
you know, unless you knew that someone did it, it'd be very hard to tell that someone had scrubbed someone or something out of the photo here to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love snap heel. It's one of my favorite things. It's, um, it, yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it because it does. It makes that so easy. I've had it for a while and I, I, you know, it's not the kind of thing you use every day, but when you need it right there, it's good to go. All right. right. And um, we've been at this for last. We've been at this for a while. Well, uh, I know you got uh, more. You want me to save the last? I, I do. I'd like to do the last one. I'll, I'll skip the, the second to last. All right, go, 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 go. All right. So last one here. So I saw this. So it it's struck my eye here because um, it's really getting into a space that I think you and Dave uh, were both excited about here. So, and they introduced it at the show here. So WD my cloud. Okay. And it seems that a lot of people are, are getting in the space here. And I think oh. what, what really struck me though, is that they are introducing a boatload of features in this. So it's called WD my cloud. So what does it do? So as you can gather, so WD Western digital, it's a drive in an enclosure. Um, has a gigabit Ethernet and a USB port. Okay. What does it do for you? So it lets you store your media. You can access your media with PC, Mac, tablet, or smartphone apps. You can back up via uh, on the PC. They have software or Time Machine. Um, you can also direct upload to it. Uh, it connects to Dropbox and other services. You can expand the storage via the USB 3 port that I mentioned. Um, it's a DLNA device. Oh. Um, and the other thing is, so they offer because WD makes drives, you know, that's kind of what sure. they do, yeah, but they yeah. have two, two terabyte for 149, three terabyte for 179. And shortly, I think in November, they're going to have a four, four terabyte. You know, Dave, we used to be talking gigabytes. Now we're talking terabytes. So and, this is and, just to, just to be clear out of the gate. And I realize there's some additional stuff you can do with this, but out of the gate, this is a, a kind of a private cloud server, right? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, the product MyCloud, um, yeah, would would make you believe that, but it's a yeah, it's replacing, I think, or, or taking what some of their other products did and really just coalescing it into something that is both, you know, a Got backup, it. but also a media server. And I thought it was cool. Well, yeah, what right. struck me was four terabytes because yeah, I think that's another fairly new thing is that WD is coming out with four terabyte drives. I mean, dude, right? I gigabyte drives. Right I think I now have- they got terabyte. Don't I have some four terabyte drives in my, uh, in my disc station? I think I do. I think I have one. You may. They're, yeah. they're just starting. I think WD is just starting to roll those out. But to me, that struck that as, you know, they kind of figured out what people want as far as media storage, backup, things like that. And uh, it sounds pretty cool. That's, so, that's um, pretty good. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you steamrolled and did that one. That was, that's good. Huh? Yeah. The other thing. Yeah. We, we, yeah, yeah it's yeah. not a Mac thing. It's a, you know, Android. No, that's yeah. good. Yuck. No, that's well, Android's good. cool. So uh-huh. I wanted to get that out of my system. So Photo Plus is is an awesome show. Uh, I I didn't really go to the you know conference sessions. I more you know just cruise the show floor, talk to all our friends that you know all the you know especially the people that make all the NAS drives. You yeah. Know, so Synology was there, and Drobo was there, and uh, QNAP and uh, Lassie and all those guys, and talked to all them. Um, you know, cause to me, that's part of it is networking with them and just, Absolutely. Uh, you know, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to let David J in the chat room, Trump, your, uh, your claim, the, the, Lassie's claims of 90 megabytes a second with SanDisk's uh, 190 megabyte per second flash drive. And, uh, and he has mm. actually, he, he and Tom's hardware have tested this to, uh, to, to, to actually prove that it's doing it. So yeah, the, and Tom's hardware says it hits almost 200 megs a second. This is smoking this thing. 
Wow. Um, so yeah, we'll put a link to, uh, to that one there. And I think it's pretty, pretty inexpensive, right? Oh, I can't. It's the UK. So yeah. Dang. No, Lacie one's not shabby. I don't have a USB three machine, but I think the, the value Lacie offers is also that they throw in all this software yeah. that does encryption backup yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah. again, it's stainless steel and it's, it's kind of tough. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, they all have, they all have their, uh, their yeah, place. Like, cool. I need to get a USB three machine, Dave. I think it may be a, uh, MacBook pro retina. You think? Oh yeah. I hope so. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. When are you getting that? Soon. Soon. I think one of our, well, I think one of our, uh, one of our colleagues who shall remain nameless said, um, you know, I can probably get you a discount. Hey, that's good. It's nice to have we good do, friends. We do know one. We, we know one or two people at Apple. That yeah, just, that's uh, great. They get a deal for the friends and family. Unfortunately, they, uh, someone out there at Apple considers us a friend. Yeah, yeah, me yeah. A friend. And probably yeah. you too. No, that's great. <laughs> I think it's good. I think it's good. Yeah, I just, um, I, I don't have anything. Well, I probably have something specific to say, but uh, the, um, I just came back from Mac Tech Conference, which is absolutely one of my favorite conferences to go to. You had a blast. I, I saw you. I did. And I wish I hadn't had to come home early. I, I, my family plans and that sort of thing kind of forced my, my trip to be shorter than I would have liked. But, uh, but Neil Tickton and his team do a, an, an absolutely fantastic job putting this conference together. It's it, they have two tracks. They have an IT track and a developer track. The IT track is the lion's share of it. Probably 80% of the people there are there for the IT track. And then there, you know, there's 20% there for the developer track, uh, at least based on attendance uh, to the, to the sessions, you know, and the size of the rooms and that sort of thing. But, uh, but they just do such a great job, John, you definitely need to go next year. There's you, you just gotta, you just gotta put it on your calendar. Uh, and I, and anybody, any of you out there that are doing IT, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the sessions are geared towards, uh, enterprise stuff. Okay. And, and, and certainly there's a lot of that, but I got stuff out of it and I don't, you know, I mean, we don't talk a lot about enterprise stuff here. I mean, maybe we will at some point, but, uh, but even without that, you know, even without that need for that knowledge, I got a ton out of some of these Mm -hmm. sessions. And, uh, and then on top of that, they just, these guys just know how to run a conference. They, they really, they, they, they make sure everybody's fed well. They make sure everybody's happy. They make sure, I mean, we did some cool events last year's event, which I missed was them going to, uh, they actually did a backstage back, not a backstage, a back office tour of Pixar. Everybody had to leave their cell phones, no cameras, no tweets, no nothing. They had to leave all that behind. Yep. And, uh, and then they went and saw a preview of, I think, Wreck-It Ralph in, in, uh, in, <laughs> in Pixar's theater weeks before it came out. Right. But um, but this year we, you know, two years ago when I went, we um, what was the activity? Oh, we did a, a backlot tour of Universal Studios this year. We went to the um, uh, the, the yeah, I don't know what the museum is, the, the, but there's some museum where the space shuttle Endeavor is. And that's where we went. And uh, and checked out all that stuff and yeah. and saw the saw the shuttle endeavor and had a talk from some people there. It was really fantastic. Such a great time. They they no. do they do a good job. So highly recommend. No, that's it. very cool. Yeah. Now actually, I remember that last year, Dave. So I went to Photo Plus last year, and it just coincided with speaking of the shuttle. Mm. It coincided exactly because the Javits Center is right near the water. It coincided with them bringing the Enterprise. Yep. Yeah, they brought that onto, up from D.C. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was there and I got some fantastic pictures. All of a sudden, everybody in the conference was like, yeah, got to go. <laughs> Whoa, the Enterprise is coming? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, forget this conference, man. We got to go. And and there was a mob there of, you know, media and all that. And I got some really nice pictures. And, yeah, they put it on the, uh, oh, what's the ship there they got there? It's on the Intrepid. Uh, Intrepid, yeah. yeah. So so they initially put it on the, uh, yeah, I think it, it's sitting on the Intrepid. That's now, where it, that's where which, it is. Uh, that's also something they like to... Uh, Good stuff. Speaking, well, Dave, speaking you know, of the it, Enterprise, uh, the, the, before you mm-hmm. cut me off about Mac Tech, there uh, they uh, they also had the bridge of the Enterprise. Uh, oh, I saw that <laughs> from the bridge. The, from the it was the props from the Vegas uh, uh, installation, and they also had a touring production of it. And it's sort of a hodgepodge mm-hmm. of those props, but they've done a great job putting it together, and they're going to build this into a science uh, museum mm-hmm. actually out there. And uh, so it was cool. We got to sit on the bridge. Some of the cool stuff. I put up a, a photo gallery at TMO. Some of the like mm. little engineering stickers that are on all of the consoles and stuff have all these little <laughs> Easter eggs in them. Cool little like you know phrases and and uh, and and different things. So I, I put some of those up for uh, for folks if you want to check it out. We'll put a link. All right. Uh, with that. I think it's time to uh, to wrap things up, and the band is in indicating that we're going to add some geek challenges mm-hmm. to the next show. Mm-hmm. You keep uh, you keep mm-hmm-ing. Uh, anything? Is there something you're trying to say? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's. <laughs> we'll do the geek challenges oh. next show. Uh, Feedback at MacGeekUp.com is the email address that you can send your comments to, questions, screenshots, anything you like. That'll get to both John and I. Really? Yeah. So are you saying, Dave, if I send an email to feedback at MacGeekUp.com, we will both read it and, and in all likelihood respond to it? That, that is what I'm saying if you send it to feedback at MacGeekUp.com. That's right, John. You can also, Excellent. if you are a premium supporter of MacGeekUp, you can send your stuff into premium at MacGeekUp.com and get a prioritized answer because those of you that, uh, that directly help us keep the lights on, we try to do a little something for you. If you uh, don't want to or can't help us in that way, that's fine. Uh, it, it's actually no problem. We still love having you as a listener. It doesn't change that at all. And we still endeavor to answer all of your questions uh, as quickly as we can. And and that's that's a that's just how it works. But we do prioritize prioritize those questions from folks that uh, that help mm-hmm. us here. So. That's premium at MacGeekGab.com. You can also call us, 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is... 4335. But that's not all, Dave. We're on the Facebooks. And if you go to Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab, you go there, you could learn what's happening with the show, when we're going to have the next show. We try to post when that will happen as soon as we know. Um, You can ask questions there. Uh, you can like us. You can love us. <laughs> oh, no, that's not an option yet. No. no. <laughs> but yeah, there's Facebook. Uh, and there's also, of course, Twitter. I'm on there. You're on there. Everybody's, uh, well, anybody that's anybody. Not saying if you're not on Twitter, you're a nobody, but get on Twitter. Nah, it's not for everybody. But I am on Twitter as John F. Braun. He is on there as Dave Hamilton. The podcast is Mac Geek Gab, the publication. Mac Observer. Indeed. 
And uh, and you can visit us when we do this show, typically on Sundays. Today's Monday. Had a weekend scheduling conflict. But uh, but typically the show we do on Sundays, and we stream it at MacGeekGum.com slash stream. So you can join us there if you so choose. And with that, I do want to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast and GetAppLure.com. I want to thank the folks at CashFly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Uh, and the podcast marketplace. We want to thank Barebones Software. We want to thank Smile. We want to thank Gazelle. We want to thank Squarespace all for helping us do what we do. And of course, thanking Michael Johnston for converting this to AAC because that's what he does for us. And we very much appreciate it. John, any advice? For you, Dave? For me. Yeah. I don't know if you need it, Dave, but it never hurts to remind you that you shouldn't get hot. Made up.